All right, well, here today we are on core six of our series called The Core. If you haven't been with us or if you're a new visitor today, six weeks ago I started the series called Core. And the whole um, plan of the series was to help us understand God's plan of salvation. I did this because I recognize that we live in a culture, in our American culture, sometimes we're not good at communicating the gospel well. Instead, we assume that everybody's heard the gospel, so we're not very good at proclaiming the gospel. So we did this series to help us understand what the gospel is and also to help us be able to share it with other people. So I've done a lot of repeating in this series intentionally because for some people, even though they've been in church most of their life, do not know how to communicate the gospel message of Jesus. And probably a common comment I've, got through, I've received through this series is people saying, thank you for doing this series because it's cleared up for me on how to present the gospel to someone. So I have been repeating myself, but intentionally, because sometimes repetition is our best teacher. So I'm going to take another five minutes and kind of repeat a little bit about what we did last week in order that we're all on the same page. This will probably be the last message in the series. I started the series and I went through four core principles of how a person came to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Then last week and today I'm talking about what is your life like after Jesus comes into your life? What is your life like after Jesus is your Savior? You know, last week we talked about justification and adoption. We talked about two things that God immediately does in your life after you receive Jesus. And justification is all about Jesus calls you innocent. He looks at your track record of your sins and he says that you are innocent. And then he adopts you into his family. Today I'm going to talk about sanctification. And that's core six. That, and sometimes you know, the word sanctification is kind of a big and a clumsy word and Probably the truth is most of you have not used the word sanctification in your uh, vocabulary in the last week or probably month or ever, as my wife would say. So what is sanctification? What is sanctification all, is all about? Before I tell you what sanctification is, I want to tell you the purpose of sanctification. See, what is sanctification? What is the purpose of it? The purpose of sanctification is to set a person or a thing apart for the intended use intended for the use intended by the designer. Let me start that over. The purpose of sanctification is to set a person or a thing apart for the use intended by the designer. That's the goal of sanctification. So in a non-theological sense, in a non-biblical sense, my shoe was sanctified this morning when I put it on because the purpose of my shoe is for me to wear and to walk in it. This is non-theological sense. My car was sanctified this morning when I drove it here because my car was created by the designer to transport me. So now when we go in a theological sense, in a biblical sense, my life is sanctified when I'm doing what God has called me to do. That is the goal of our life, to be doing what God's called me to do. So sanctification is going to be a lifelong process from the day you get saved until the day you enter into heaven of finding and discovering what God has called you to do and God's created you to be. And sanctification is not a process where you get to the point and then someday you're good enough, then you do the sanctified things. We start out sanctification earlier in our walk with Christ. When we get a job at a place God's called us to do, that's living a sanctified life. When we have kids that God's called us to do, that's living a sanctified life. When we do missionary work, that's sanctification. 
But see, the whole definition of sanctification, it comes from two words. One word means holy, and the other word means to make. So it implies it's a process. There's a process in our life that God makes us holy, that he makes us more like Christ. And this takes the time we got saved to the time we enter heaven. But during this process, he calls us into things that we do that are sanctified. So the question we're going to answer today is how do we get to that place where we're living in God's plan and design? So let's go to the beginning of the story. In, in the week one, I talked about core one, that God is the holy and just and gracious creator of all things. See, the story began in the Garden Eden where God created man and woman perfectly to live in a relationship with him. He created them perfectly and he set them apart from the rest of creation for a good purpose. Look what it says in the book of Genesis. It says, God, then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Then God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Man, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on earth. See, from the very beginning in the Bible, from the very first page in the Bible, man and women were created to be productive. They were never just created to sit around the garden and enjoy everything, but they created to be productive. And one of the first things that God tells men and women that they're going to do is that they're going to have dominion over the earth, that they're going to use God's authority on the earth. But he also told them that they're going to be fruitful and multiply. And this whole concept of being fruitful and multiply is taken all through the gospel, is taken all through the New Testament. And finally, God tells Adam and Eve that they're going to, they're going to name the animals. See, God placed Adam and Eve in the garden. He set them apart from the rest of creation for purpose. And as we know, Adam and Eve sinned, and that was core too. That we are created by God, but we are all corrupted by sin. Suddenly, our perfect relationship with God is destroyed, and Adam and Eve had to leave the garden for their own protection. See, we're created in perfection to enjoy the garden, to enjoy a perfect relationship with God. But because sin entered in, our perfect relationship with God was destroyed. See, if you want a visual picture, imagine you know, that fuse box you have in your house, that electrical box that you have in your house where all the wires of your house come in and out of. Imagine that the source of supply to that box was disconnected. That's what happened when sin entered into the world. The relationship with God was disconnected. And the rest of the Bible is how do you restore that connection? See, suddenly when sin entered in, this perfect relationship we have with God is suddenly destroyed by sin and we become an enemy of God. Suddenly our ability to have good relationships with other people is interrupted with pride and arrogance and strife and competition. And suddenly this world that God created us to live in, to enjoy, suddenly we start worshiping the world. Everything God set in place from the beginning of the Garden of Eden has been destroyed by sin. Which brings us to core three, that Jesus alone is able to remove our sins and restore us to God. See, that's the good news of the gospel, that while we were sinful, that even before we were born, God set a plan in motion to rescue us and to save us. 
And that was by sending Jesus to the cross. So the big question is, how does that happen? So you remember in our series one, or core one, we talked about when Adam and Eve sinned. God went into the garden. And after they sinned, God looked for Adam and Eve. And he found them. And he spoke to them. And the most beautiful thing about that story is Adam and Eve could hear God's voice after they sinned. And that is a pattern that God has been doing to rescue people since the Garden of Eden. He looks for people, he finds people, and he speaks to them. And when God speaks to people, he speaks to them grace. He speaks to them love and compassion. And it's through the gift of grace that God draws us into a relationship with him. But the grace of God isn't there just to help us understand who God is and who we are in the sinful state of our life. See, grace goes beyond that. Grace helps us submit to God. That's the purpose of Christianity, is we submit to God. We live in this American culture right now who has this whole idea that says, if I believe in God and believe in Jesus, I'm going to heaven. That's not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ from the beginning has always been, you believe in Jesus, you believe in God, but also you submit to God. You submit to the Bible. That's the cornerstone of Christianity, submitting. And that's the the cornerstone for salvation and also the living the rest of our life is by submitting to God. So last week we talked about <clears throat> what happens after we submit our life to Jesus. What happens after we surrender our life to Jesus and say, I'm not, no longer going to live for myself, but I'm going to live according to the biblical standards. I'm going to live according to how God wants me to live. And the first thing that happens to us is that we immediately become justified. We've talked about this several times, that when you become justified, God, said, God says you are innocent of your past. And because you are innocent, you stand in a perfect relationship with God, and therefore God adopts you into his family. Through the gift of adoption, God brings us into his family. And I think you could say that adoption is probably one of the greatest gifts that God has given to us. You might say, well, salvation is the greatest gift, Jesus dying on the cross. See, you couldn't be adopted by God without Jesus dying on the cross. And so one of the most beautiful expressions of God's love that he uses for us is adoption. And it's a beautiful picture. And I commented last week how beautiful it is when families adopt children and how expressing the heart of God by adopting a child because that's how God communicated to us how much he loves us. See, when Jesus introduced the concept of adoption, he did it in the, in the New Testament. See, in the New Testament period, in the Roman Empire, if you had a child and you didn't like the child, you could get rid of it at any time. The Roman law says, well, because you got a child biologically, you really didn't know what you're getting, so if you're disappointed with a child, you can kill it, you can sell it, or you can let somebody else adopt it. And Jesus comes in with this whole new picture of adoption and said, Sam just said something made me laugh. <laughs> oh, Sam. <laughs> Sam just reminded me that Piggy's adopted. Give me Piggy. Show them your butt. Everywhere Sam goes, Piggy goes. So, everywhere Sam goes. So, 
I just thought it was kind of funny when he said piggies adopted. <laughs> so, anyway. So in the Roman law, the Roman law says, now if you adopt a child, it's yours for life. Because you know what you're getting. And so Jesus uses the law and the custom at the time to communicate to the people what the truth of, that, of how, what, what it means when he adopts us. See, according to Roman law, there was four things that happened. Number one, the child would now be permanently a part of the new family. That was the main part of the law, that the new family, if you adopted that child, you could never disown that child. And the second point of part of adoption was that adopted child received a new identity. Any prior commitments and responsibilities and debts were erased. And in turn, the child got new rights and responsibilities. And the final thing was about adoption was that your inheritance started immediately. See, in our American culture, normally you get your inheritance when your parents die. But in that Roman culture, the law was your child starts getting your inheritance right away. They become joint heirs of all that you have. And you're fully united to the parents. And that is the picture that God was speaking of what he does in his relationship with us. And so last week I talked a lot about adoption from the point of view from the parents. But I had a couple phone calls this week from people in our congregation that had been adopted themselves talking to me about a little bit of the struggle it is when you're a child that was adopted, especially when it was later in life and you kind of were familiar with a previous family and how that can often be a difficult thing. Because sometimes your question is, is the new family really going to keep me? Or will I go back to the old family? And so it can be a struggle sometimes for kids that were adopted later to wonder if they'll go back to that family of origin. And I think that's why God wanted to communicate when he adopts, he adopts for life and he adopts to protect and to keep. But also for an adopted child, sometimes it can be hard wondering about the transition. If I'm with this new family now and it was different from the previous family, and it's sometimes hard to assimilate being part of a new family. And I think the same thing is true as when you become a Christian and suddenly you become part of the family of God. It can be a hard transition from your former life into this new life that God has called you to be part of. And the good news is God has grace for that, and that's why God has given us sanctification. See, sanctification is a tool that moves us in our life from knowing God to finding freedom to discovering our purpose and to making a difference in our life. Sanctification is a catalyst that takes us through all that God wants to do in our life, that wants to take us to make us fully secure in who he is. <clears throat> so how does sanctification happen? See, justification immediately happened when you got saved. How does sanctification happen? See, sanctification is a process when we apply justification to our life. Now, that was a difficult sentence. Justification is the removal of the guilt and the penalty of sin. When you got saved, God said you're past, you're innocent of that. Justification is a process of removing the dysfunction or the consequences that sin caused in your life. See, when we come to Christ, we might come with a very dysfunctional past, and he forgives us of our past, but sometimes those behaviors and those actions and their attitude, they're still operating even though you're born again in Christ. And sanctification is a process of getting rid of that old lifestyle, getting rid of that old mindset, 
and walking in the freedom that God has for us. So I taught you earlier, when sin entered in, it was like somebody came and cut that fuse box and cut the power supply to God off. But see, what sin also does, it goes into that wire board and disconnects all the wires and reconnects them. So nothing works right in your life. Sanctification is that process of restoring all the connections in your life to the way God intended it for it to be. The power source comes back and every single wire goes where it's supposed to be and things are reconnected. But see, a lot of people say, well, why do I need to be sanctified if God's just automatically going to do this for me? And the truth is, the day that you got saved, God did some wonderful work in your life and you transitioned from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light and you received a new identity, a new inheritance from God. And some of you received a lot of deliverance the day that you were saved. But the truth is, for a lot of people, there's still a lot of issues in your life that God has to work out with. And that's what happens in the process of sanctification. And so that's why we pursue sanctification. And why do we pursue it? Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us peer ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. See, what Paul is saying here is God has so much he wants to do in your life. He has promises for you. He has provision for you. But as long as you're holding on to impurity in your life, you're not going to be able to handle all the good stuff God wants to bring in your life. So Paul is saying, work on getting rid of that junk in your life. Work on getting that so you can receive all the promises that God has for us. See, the truth is every one of us has a history. Every one of us has a story. I like what David Brenner says in his book of The Gift of Being Yourself. He says, our identity is who we experience ourselves to be. See, all of us go through a lot of situations in our life. And the experiences that we have in our life often form who we think we are. They form who we think of our identity. See, our experiences in our job or in our health or our work or our financial status or our children, or things, and, and good things that happen to us all help form our identity, what we think of ourselves. But see, what also happens is a lot of tough things in your life also form your identity. If you've had a rough childhood, you had some bad experiences happen to you, or if you're taking advantage of people, it's all going to form into your identity. And sooner or later, your identity is what you think of yourself. And when you think... And when you think of it, and sooner or later, your, your identity is formed by all these uh, things that happen in your life. And sooner or later, you start believing your identity, even if it's false, even if it's made up of hurt, hard things that happen to your life, you're going to begin to believe it. And a lot of people start acting out their life according to who they think they are. But what would our life be like if our identity was based on the way that God sees us? And our identity was 100% based on the way that God sees us. David Brenner in his book, in a few uh, chapters later, he says, an identity grounded in God would mean that when we think of who we are, the first thing that would come to mind is our status as someone who is deeply loved by God. That's what God wants us to think of as our identity, that we are deeply loved by God and that drives and fuels everything else in our life. 
But the truth is, for a lot of us, we look at that sentence to be someone who's deeply loved by God, and we don't feel that way. We don't often feel deeply loved by God. Sometimes we feel a little bit more like we're just tolerated by God, that he kind of puts up with us because he has to. But we don't really feel deeply loved. So the question is, how do you get to that place where you can feel deeply loved by God and you can have the security to know that God loves you and he's for you? See, Paul tells us in Romans 12 that you need to renew, that you need to renew your mind. Paul says, don't copy the behaviors and custom of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, Paul says you need to change the way you think. See, the good news is we don't have to do this on our own. <clears throat> the day you got saved... God deposited his Holy Spirit inside of us that will lead us into all truths, that would guide us and direct us and reveal to us truth. So you don't get saved and God says, okay, you're saved. I'm going to now sit back and see what happens. I'll give you a few clues and see what you make up of your life. But no, God says, I'm going to be intimately involved in your life. I'm going to be so involved in your life that I'm going to be inside of you. I'm going to be inside you because I want to lead you. He put his Holy Spirit inside of us to lead us into truth. But sometimes it's so easy to have the influence of the world dictate what we perceive as the truth. And see, the Holy Spirit is the catalyst to make sanctification happen in your life. Self-determination is not going to make sanctification happen. Self-determination might work for a little while, but it's going to burn out quickly. See, that's why God gave us the Holy Spirit. Look what it says in the book of John. And Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he's going to give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who will lead you in all truths. See, the reason God gave us that Holy Spirit is because he understood that life is going to be difficult, and transitions can be difficult, and it can be hard to get <clears throat> from one kingdom to the other. It's hard to have that in our mentality, what it means to be a Christian. A while back, I saw Pastor Brian Finley in North Carolina do an illustration. And I'm going to attempt to do his illustration a little bit, see how it goes. See, the thing is, for a lot of us, I want to try to give you a picture of what sanctification is all about. Because we talk about sanctification in our head and with words, but sometimes to see what sanctification is about is a better teacher than anything else. See, a lot of us that uh, come to our relationship with Christ, if we come later in our life, and we've had a rocky start, we often come in our relationship with Christ and we feel pretty broken. We've been hurt along the way. We've been hurt in life. Things happened to us that weren't fair and maybe we were mistreated and we feel broken, so we got this label attached to us. We got this new wire that's attached to us and says, you're broken. And we walk around carrying that. 
And sometimes people that feel dirty after they get saved, felt dirty before they got saved, especially a lot of people that had a lot of sexual experiences before they came to Christ that were out of God's plan, often feel dirty. They feel like we talked about last week of the scripture about the eunuch who felt unclean. And you feel like there's absolutely nothing that could happen in my life to make me clean again. So you start wearing dirty. Becomes your identity. Then a lot of people feel in their life that they never fit in. That they never belong. That nobody ever really loved them or wanted them to participate. You start feeling rejected. And you carry this around. It's going to be the label that you interpret life through. Once somebody rejects you and you start believing in rejection, sooner or later, it just happens. That's your view of yourself. <clears throat> and then there's some people along the way, they run into some problems, they be, have addiction issues. And they start thinking of themselves as an addict. That that's their identity. That's who they are. That's who they're always being. They think this is who they are. That's not true. But you wear that. You think that's always who I am. And then some people, you can't get over some of the things that you did in your past. Some of the things that you did to other people that were mean and cruel. So you always think of yourself as guilty. And you wear that guilt for the rest of your life. I know. Should have thought this out a little longer. And then people carry shame. See, shame's the attitude that says, I'm a bad person. I'll never be good. There's no use, no good use for me. And people think of themselves as a bad person and they attach it to themselves. And then people feel unlovable, like they don't feel loved. That nobody loved me in the past, and nobody's gonna love me in the future. They live very sad lives. Then there's the big one of embarrassment, which you think if anybody really knew who I was or what I'm thinking inside, you would reject me. You'd want nothing to do with me if you really knew who I was inside. And people walk around their life living embarrassed. And they put defenses up because they don't want anybody to get to really know them. Because they don't want anybody to get a little peek inside of them and to figure out what their real struggle is in their life. And that's the situation of most people when they come to a relationship with Christ. They had all these things attached to them. And you're pretty limited in your life how far you can get away from your post. Because you're carrying all these things with you wherever you go. And see, a lot of times, even after we become a Christian in our life, we can pick up some of these labels. Because you know what? Life is hard. And it's difficult. And there's tough things that happen to people. And then the day happens when you get saved. 
that you come to a relationship with Jesus Christ and suddenly you learn all these plans that God has for your life, that he's going to set you free, that he's given you a new identity, a new purpose, and that your past is erased. And you're excited for the things that God wants to do in your life. You're excited for this new victory. You're started, excited for this deliverance that God is going to give to you. But then a day passes or weeks or months or a year and you say, you know what? I still feel pretty much the same. I don't feel a whole lot different. Here I've been saved and I feel like I still got a lot of these things attached to me. That's very real for a lot of people that you just carry around your baggage and your bondage even after you're saved. But see, that's not God's plan for any of our life. See, the problem is when you carry around this baggage, you carry around these feelings of feeling broken and dirty, you start to believe these things. And then your behavior starts reflecting what you believe about yourself. And you can get yourself into a lot of trouble that way because a lot of people get discouraged and say, you know, I tried this Christianity thing. I thought I was following God, but I still feel the same. I got all these things attached to me. But see, the good news about the gospel is that the day that Jesus died on the cross, that he said about every one of these labels, he said on the cross, it is finished. And over every single label that a person has that is false, the day Jesus went to the cross for you, he said, it is finished. Your shame is finished. Your rejection's finished. Your brokenness is finished. Your insecurity's finished. But how do we make that happen? Or how does the Holy Spirit make that happen? See, according to Ephesians 1 that I read in the beginning of the service, Ephesians 1 says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing from God, that we have been chosen, adopted, redeemed, given grace and unconditional love and acceptance. We are blameless and forgiven. We now have the hope of spending eternity with God when we are adopted by God. These aspects of our identity are now part of the promises of God. But what do you do when you still feel the same way? So you can talk about the scripture, you can read the scripture, but if you still feel these things are hanging on to you, that's a very difficult thing. As I said earlier, sanctification is a lifelong process of getting rid of these labels. Sanctification is a process that the Holy Spirit will take you through to get rid of these things. See, the, so how do you get rid of these labels? The first thing is, is that the Holy Spirit's going to reveal to you what is true and what is false. See, the Holy Spirit's going to remind you of scriptures <clears throat> that say you're whole. See, the Holy Scripture's going to remind you, if I trip, I won't be surprised. The Holy Spirit's going to remind you of scripture in Deuteronomy that says, God, your God, will restore everything you lost. He'll have compassion on you. And he'll come back and pick up the pieces from all the places where you are scattered. See, so you hear that promise from God and it starts to make sense. And the Holy Spirit inside of you continues to speak that truth. As that truth is
there's broken. And so as you simulate the wholeness in your life, suddenly the brokenness in your life comes off. And sometimes when we get saved and we get, come to know Christ, sometimes automatically some of these things fall off. Like suddenly shame can fall off automatically that you never even notice it. But sometimes God has to take us on a process to get rid of some of these labels because we're so used to them in our life. God's going to take us through a process of deliverance and getting us set free from these labels. Sometimes what we need to do is we need to repent. Kind of we need to repent for some of the things that we have done in our life. See, the Bible tells us that God forgives our sins when we got saved. But sometimes we're still dealing with the consequences of sin. And God wants us to repent. The Bible tells us there's two different ways you can repent. You repent to God to be forgiven and repent to other people to be healed. And so, <laughs> as we do that, this is just not a very organ. Oh, there we go. And as we repent of our sins or we sit down with another brother and sister in Christ and we talk about some of these issues in our life, we get them off our chest and we share them with someone. We start to simulate the idea that, yeah, God did choose me. That God could have overlooked me and said, I don't have to pick Jack. But he did anyway. God didn't, get, didn't save me and say, you've got to be kidding me. That's his history. He knew the history before I got saved. And so you start walking with that confidence of God chose me. He knew what he was getting into. And like the adopted father, he's not going to let me go just because he found out some things he didn't like. And that begins to get rid of feelings of rejection in our life. So repentance is also about changing your mind. See, one of the definitions of repentance is to change your mind. See, a lot of people sometimes get wrong ideas in their head about what is truth especially before you surrender your life to Christ. You live with ideas and you absorb stuff and what you think is biblically true and not. And I'll tell you, it's a common thing. I'll pray with guys or talk to guys that they think that looking at pornography, getting big into pornography, that, that's just what guys do and it's all okay. And it's a deceptive practice of the enemy. Overcomer, there it is. <laughs> And sometimes they, they start out innocent think, oh, I'll get into porn. And then sooner or later, they're kind of addicted to it and they can't get out of it. And they start to have the idea that that's who I am, that's who I'll always be. They let their addiction define their identity. But God says, no, you're an overcomer. He says to us in the first John, he says, for everyone who has been born of God, that means everybody who has been saved, who surrenders their life to Jesus Christ, overcomes addictions. And this is a victory that has overcome the world, our faith. You know, the guy might still struggle a little bit with us, but he's overcome. He's an overcomer. And suddenly his addiction is not controlling him. <clears throat> there it is. There we go. But you know what? This is what your life looks like through sanctification. It's kind of messy. <laughs> it's not a clean little accountant's plan of doing this like I anticipated. I'd have one come on and another fall off. It's not 
good accounting when you go through sanctification. It's messy. And things are all tangled up because your shame's tangled with your guilt and all this stuff. And this just, this just makes me nervous right now because I like things organized. I can't wait to throw this all away. <laughs> that is a process, a messy process. And then sometimes in order to get rid of some of these labels, we have to do something that's really hard, and that's we need to forgive somebody who's violated us. And that can be a really difficult part. To forgive someone that's hurt you. To forgive someone that's rejected you. To forgive someone that's taken advantage of you. But see, the Bible tells us to forgive, and then we'll be forgiven. See, God doesn't mean if you forgive someone else, then I'm going to forgive your sins. He's saying if you forgive someone else, then you can experience what it's like to be forgiven. And that's what forgiveness is all about, saying, God, I have every right to be upset at this person. I have every right to be mad at them, angry at them, every right to be. But God, I'm going to turn that person over to you and let you take care of that person. And suddenly, when you're able to forgive somebody else, you realize and you can experience the forgiveness that God has for you. And that's a pretty good trade. That's a good trade. We're going to get rid of. Well, we'll just throw that one over there. That, one, that one's gone. We don't even know what I'm doing anymore. <laughs> See, when you're forgiven, then you start getting rid of these feelings of rejection and all that. But then there's another hard thing that you might have to do you might have to ask somebody to forgive you. That's kind of part we like to skip sometime. That in our brokenness, we could have hurt somebody else. But see, God tells us to do unto others what we would like them to do to us. And I would like somebody to repent to me if they hurt me in a way. So God tells us that's what we need to do. <clears throat> and as we are able to ask somebody else to forgive us, God brings healing in our life. He heals us of some of those things that we did because there's a reason you feel guilty. There's a reason you feel that guilt because you did do something really wrong. And God's forgiven you. And now at least you've got to try to see if that person's going to forgive you. Then the final thing that you need to do is you need to forgive yourself. And sometimes that can be the hardest thing. Sometimes that can be a tricky part, to forgive yourself. <clears throat> you know God's forgiven you. You know other people have forgiven you. But then can you feel forgive yourself? And as you're able to forgive yourself, you're going to be able to experience love. Love from other people and love from God, probably in a way that you haven't experienced before. Yeah, that did turn out good. See, the devil side is pretty messed up. <clears throat> and then that unlovable is going to leave. And then that dirtiness leaves. And then that embarrassed leaves. Suddenly, that embarrassment of your past and that feeling of anybody ever knew 
that holds you captive, suddenly that's off. And suddenly you don't carry that weight around anymore. But you're tethered by what God thinks of you. And that's our process of sanctification, is understanding what God thinks of us and applying that truth to our life. But the truth is, for many of us, this, this is a hard process. It doesn't automatically happen the first couple years you're saved. It's a lifelong process. And sometimes this little feeling of rejection, you kind of get that off, that sometimes finds its way back on. This might be a struggle that you're going to have to deal with a lot of your life. Sometimes when God sets you free, it feels like he just took part of it away. And that little rejection likes to come back. See, Paul understood this. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, he said, I had a struggle. And I kept praying, God, would you take this struggle away from me? And Paul said, the Lord said to him, so to keep you from becoming proud, the Lord said to Paul, to, be, to keep you from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. See, the last thing that God wants us to do is through our sanctification process, we learn to be reliant on ourselves. He wants us to always be reliant on him. And that's why sometimes we might have a vulnerability with an issue or two that has fallen to the ground. It's to help us keep reliant on him. And see, through this process of sanctification, we discover our true identity. But this isn't the goal of our life. The goal of our life isn't to just discover who we are and be happy with our new identity. See, part of our sanctification is to help other people get these labels off themselves. See, that's what God tells us to do when he calls us to go and make a difference. That it's great to get these labels off us, but then as people on the body of Christ, we need to help other people get rid of these labels. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are in trouble, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given to us. See, that's what God wants to do in our life. See, so sanctification comes into our life and it reveals the truth of who we are and then the sanctification equips us to serve other people. God clears up our life in order that we can serve other people more effectively. The enemy likes to tell us you have to have every single one of these things removed from your life and be walking perfectly like this before you can be any good. That's a lie. See, God uses us at every stage of our life. God uses us at every stage of our sanctification process. Yeah, this is the goal to get freed up like that. But don't let the enemy lie to you while you're struggling with something to say you're disqualified. Because the Lord may actually use one of these various things on here to help you minister to other people. See, then our sanctification is going to take us and is going to cause us to do things that we never thought were possible to do or we could have never imagined doing. 
since Josh got out of his seat, I'll use him as an example. See, part of your sanctification is you're like Josh and Anna and little Gam, and you say, we're going to move from the security of West Michigan to get trained in the mission field and go to India. That's sanctification. When you have so much confidence in what the Lord has done in your life that you are willing to leave the comfort and security of West Michigan and travel and get missionary training and then go to a different country and serve. Who does that? People that know who they are in Christ. And that's our goal, is that we're so freed up that we're not living according to the world standards, what the world tells us to do, but we're solely connected to God that we only want to do what he's calling us to do. And since I brought up Josh and Anna, I'll kind of add this little advertisement in. On August 26th, they're going to lead our service here at church. Josh and Anna are going to preach and they're going to share. They're going to talk about what the mission that God has called them to do. They're going to talk about the Great Commission. And so please come on August 26th. I think it's going to be a fabulous service. And the amazing Chris Renzema is coming in from Nashville to lead worship. So it's going to be a... Yeah. That's an exciting service. So I'll mark that on your calendar. That will be a great service. And we just want to hear what God has put on Josh and Anna's heart and and how he's preparing them to move and get missionary training for a year and then see how God's going to get them to the nations of the world. So let's have Tara come up and lead us in one more song. And as Tara, and thank you for coming today, Rachel. It's great to have you. And Andy, it's always good to have you. Let's lead this into a song, and let's ask God to reveal to us, are we carrying any of these labels? Because the problem is, sometimes we're raised with these labels, and we think that's natural to have these labels in our life. We start feeling like, well, that's the way my dad was, that's the way my grandpa was, everybody in our family is that way. No, that's not true. That's not the way God has for you. Some people believe about these labels and say, well, I was born that way and nothing I can do about it. I'm always going to be like that. That's not the truth of who God says you are. It's God says you're this. So as Tara leads us in worship, let's focus and let's ask God during this week, what label is attached to us? And let's see what the Holy Spirit does in our life to set us free from the bondage and to set us into this freedom that he would have for us.